miracles on miracles. That's this journey. The Lord is good and faithful. And I want to help us ground us in that reality today. I want to talk to you about perspective. This trip brought so much perspective and I believe God has revealed some things to me in a fresh way that I believe are universal there for all of us. And so I pray that you open your heart as we go on a little journey together this morning. And then after I'm done, we're going to baptize some of our friends And we're going to have some church, y'all. Patriots are playing a one, but they're playing the Jets. Is that really a game? <laughs> I'll leave that alone. Got a lot of sore Pats fans right now, I can tell. Sore subject. <laughs> but if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. Book of Acts, chapter 17. We can open our Bibles or turn our phones to Acts, chapter 17. Book of Acts is better known as the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. After Jesus ascended to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. Acts 17 is in the middle of a missionary journey that Paul is on, the Apostle Paul. And specifically here, he's speaking to a city named Athens, Greece, a city known for his idols at the time in Greek mythology and known for his Greek philosophers who do nothing but talk about the meaning of life day after day but without doing anything about it. So Paul is preaching to this particular group of people. And what we're going to read is we're going to jump right into his sermon. He's making the point. He says, hey, I look around, I see you guys are very religious. You have a lot of inscriptions, worship and all kinds of idols. And they're so superstitious that they had an inscription that says to an unknown God. In other words, we want to make sure we don't offend any gods that we don't know. And Paul says, I want to talk to you about that unknown God. Because there's only one true God. Amen. So here, here's Paul's message. Right in the middle of it, Paul says this. We're going to read it together. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Psalm 50, God even says, hey, if I needed anything, would I tell you? If I was hungry, would I tell you? God being a little sarcastic. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history. Please highlight that. He marked out their appointed times in history in the boundaries of their lands. Keep going. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him, I love this, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, Paul's like, I'll even quote one of your own. We are his offspring. Can you say Amen. My friends, I want to do something a little bit different this morning. Instead of preaching this text to you, I'm going to use it as a backdrop to share some perspective, some fresh perspective that I've gotten from going back home that I believe are universal. I believe is going to help all of us. 
So allow me to start with a question. What is your favorite life metaphor? You know, we all have them. Sometimes directly or indirectly, we all have certain metaphors that we kind of live by. One of the greatest theologians that ever lived said, life is like a box of chocolate. <laughs> Bishop Forrest Gump told us, life is like a box of chocolate. You never know what you're going to get. What's your favorite? Because we all have them. One of the, one of the buzzwords of our day, one of the ones that, that everybody seems to you know, relate to nowadays is life is a grind. I got to be on my grind got to hustle. I got to make it. What's yours? Life is a marathon, some say. Allow me to share my favorite life metaphor that was cemented as I went back home this time around. My favorite life metaphor is that life is a journey. And that is a journey leading us back to God, as the Apostle Paul is trying to say here in this sermon. That everything is pointing us back to our creator. Pointing us back to our savior. The one who created us with purpose in the first place. I see that journey a lot like New Bedford, you know. We have a ton of one ways in New Bedford. And if you miss what turn, it takes you about 10 to 15 minutes to catch up. On what the original plan was. I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but that's like us, isn't it? You know, there's this GPS that's trying to point us back to our creator, but we have a tendency to miss our turns. But thankfully, he has built that GPS inside that keeps saying reroute, 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 reroute. And the fact that you're here this morning tells me that God has rerouted. How do I know that? Because you ain't that smart. You're a sheep. And that wasn't a compliment. Sheep need a lot of direction, a lot of guidance. By the way, shout out to Pastor Stretch for that great message on the great shepherd. But life is a journey, my friends, and this, this trip back home really cemented that for me. And, and, and again, I just want to share some things that really spoke to me. The word that was ringing in my ears throughout this trip is the word perspective. Better yet, let me ask you a couple of questions about perspective. Perspective is, how do you view life? Better yet, how do you see your life? I came across this great quote that really is the heart of this talk. This quote says this. It says, we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. Wow. That will preach. That no matter where you are right now, the situation, circumstance you find yourself in, it's not really the situation or circumstance, it's how you view it. That two people could be in the same exact situation and circumstance, but they can have different perspective about it because we don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. Did you catch that? So the way you view life is not based on your perspective, the way you view life is based on your perspective of living. Are you tracking with me? So my friends, let me make this clear. Perspective is crucial to a life well lived. Perspective is crucial 
to a life well lived. Give me, I'm going to take a water break here. This is for my mother-in-law. She says, you just take a little sip every time. <laughs> Shout out to my mother-in-law. Praise God if you have a good mother-in-law. It's all about perspective. I have a great mother-in-law. See, this wasn't my first time back home. I had been back home a couple of times before. I, I went back in 2006, and I went back in 2009, so this was my first time back in 12 years. I was born and raised in Cape Verde. I, I moved here with my parents and my sisters when I was 15 years old. But this trip was very different from the previous ones because the previous ones, I was in a very mission-oriented trip. The two times I was there, I preached basically every single day in different cities and different places, and God moved and did amazing things, and we saw so many miracles, we saw so many salvations. But this trip was very different, and God wanted it to be this way, I found out as I got into it. This time around, I had two focuses going back home. One was family, because a lot of my families are getting older, and I felt like my dad and I went together, by the way. It's a beautiful trip to go back with my dad. But we want to see family and, and, and spend some time because we don't know. But the second part of the trip was I felt compelled that God called me to go and scout the land for some potential ministry and what he wants to do in Cape Verde. And what's interesting, my perspective began even before the trip. See, I went on this trip and I felt challenged by the Holy Spirit to not say a lot, but to listen a lot. Now, do you know how much of a challenge that is for a preacher? I talk for a living. And I felt God says, no, I want you to shut up and listen during this trip. And he led me to what his half-brother said. James says this in his book. James chapter 1, he says this in his book. He says, go ahead. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be all quick to, slow to, and slow to get. Notice the trajectory. If you're slow to listen, if you, sorry, if you're quick to listen, slow to speak, you're most likely slow to get angry. I felt compelled to work on a dying art of listening. And then it got even more interesting because as I was having a conversation with some of my family members, I felt that voice again say to me, and this time was a really bit more strong. It says, do not think you are superior to them because you're coming from a first world country. Because my friends, I don't know if you noticed, but we Americans, I have dual citizenship, so I can say that. We Americans have a tendency to have a savior complex on us. If you don't believe me, pay attention to how other people talk about this country. So pay attention to what Iraqi people have said, that hey, you guys came here to help us, but you're not our savior. Pay attention to what Afghanistan is saying. We have a tendency to think we're here to take over, and it's backfiring on us. Why? Because people can read through when they know you have a superiority complex on you. Oh, that will preach. 
It's not your words, it's your attitude. And this was very strongly, and I, and I knew that, they, that God was serious about me learning to listen because I had three things on my agenda, just three things, which was crazy because I like my itinerary to be full. And one of them was to preach at this church, and two days into it, they canceled it. And I was like, all right, God, I really see what you're doing here. You don't want me to talk. You want me to listen. My friends, listening is a dying art. And I will go as far as saying the reason why our country is so divisive right now is because we no longer listen. We don't talk, we argue. And matter of fact, we don't listen, we hear to reply. Thank you. I need you to sit closer. Felt compelled, my friends, to listen, to listen to my family members, to listen to the atmosphere in, on the island. I don't know if you know this, but there's atmosphere that you can catch if you're listening instead of just replying. Problem is we have reversed the scriptures. We are quick to talk, slow to listen, and quick to get angry. It's an angry nation. And I realized, ah, it's not just a nation, it's an angry society right now. Because they were angry there too. <laughs> My friends, it was humbling and freeing to listen. You know why? It took the pressure off of me. I don't have to have all the answers. And it breaks something that I believe all of us are struggling with. I don't have to be right. <laughs> Our marriages will be so much healthier if we stop trying to be right and stop being righteous and listen. Man, it was freeing. I don't have to have all the answers. I'm not the savior. I'm on the journey with them. And I'm no better than them. Because we're all on this journey together. Pre-COVID, I was at this pastor's conference in Florida. They invited an African pastor to be one of the guest preachers. And he said something really powerful and heavy. He says, you Americans think you have all the answers because you have the resources, but we have a lot to teach you. He said, we can teach you how to pray. We can teach you how to have faith. We can teach you to know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. What a humbling thing to get lessons from a third world country. My God, we need it. Learn to listen. It's a dying art in our day and age. We have more arguments than conversations. And we have bought into this narrative that we don't have, we can't, we don't, there's no room for disagreement. But when you have a healthy perspective, there's dialogue and I can disagree with you, but still honor you and still value you because you are a person made in the image and likeness of Jesus. Problem with us, my friends, and, I, and I'm not seeing this in society, I'm seeing this among believers, is that what we have done is we have bought into the narrative of the culture instead of the narrative of Christ. 
The culture is divisive. The culture wants to be right. The culture wants to force his way. And here we are buying into the same narrative when the Bible all along is telling us, don't conform to culture. Be transformed by renewal of your mind so you may know what is God's pleasant, perfect, and good will for your life. Maybe if we listen more, we can listen to the voice. The real voice is the voice of the Holy Spirit. That we can maneuver through a toxic society but not become toxic ourselves. Because I'm seeing believers becoming toxic, becoming part of the problem as opposed to be part of the solution because we have lost the dying art of listening. This was pre-trip. <laughs> Blow my mind. I don't have to have all the answers. The pressure is off. I am not a savior. I'm just another pilgrim on the same journey. I went back home. I went back to my childhood home. Here's my childhood home. Let me show you. It's where I grew up. You know what's amazing when you go back home, if some of y'all are immigrants, you know what I'm talking about. Everything is so much smaller than you thought it was. The bedroom that I shared with my sister wasn't a bedroom, it was a closet. My parents would get up every morning at 5.30 in the morning to go to the local well to get water for the day because we didn't have running water. And if you wanted to take a hot shower, you better do some push-ups. <laughs> and if it's cold, you better boil some water on the roof taking a shower. But it was all good because that's all you know. You know, when you grow up poor, you don't even know you're poor. <laughs> Because when I look at my friends, I'm like, man, my parents was, was one of the fortunate ones that both of them worked. And in Cape Verde, you get paid monthly. By the way, you get paid monthly what you barely make in a week here. I don't know how they did it. Talk about miracles on miracles. Count your miracles. I got reasons to praise God. I got reasons to praise God. But this time, this trip flipped it on me, my friends. This is where the lesson comes in. Was that 12 years later, this place is a whole nother place. I mean, there are cities that exist now that didn't exist when I was there. I mean, they, they took me to some places. There used to be wasteland and now there's buildings and there's there's people and there's home. And Cape Verde now is chaotic, man. I felt like I was in New York City. It's so much hustle and bustle. The streets are narrow. There's people everywhere. Every other Cape Verdean is an entrepreneur selling something off their hand. I'm like, man, it's crazy. This is not how I grew up. I grew up in this place. It was quiet. And I'm a quiet person. Don't get it twisted. What I do up here versus what I do every day, I'm a very boring person. If I could live in the country, I would. I like to go to the city when I need to. But it was flipped on me because the progress is incredible, my friends. So much has happened in this nation in the past 20 years. It has evolved a lot. There's a lot of things that have changed. And what's interesting is this. I was there during the last week of elections for the next president. And guess what? Ain't that different. Seven people running. But really two parties kind of leading the way. 
and the place was tense. Because whenever there's elections, there's a lot of promises. And I was asking people, like, what are the issues? What are the struggles? What's going on? Like, I want to know. And they do, and they do, they do campaigns very different in Cape Verde. They rent trucks and they pile them with speakers and they'll blast their propaganda everywhere. So everywhere you go, you hear from all kinds of points of view. And it's just like, I'm telling you, it's whiplash. They're talking about corruption. I'm like, we don't have that in the United States of America. We live in utopia. So I'm hearing all of these perspectives about the country and, 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 and the struggles. And, and, and then, my friends, I heard the greatest perspective that I will treasure for the rest of my life. One lady said, here's what you have to do. He says, you have to compare K-Verd with K-Verd. And I'm like, whoa, what a great perspective. What she was saying, if you don't understand the history, is that K-Verd got its independence in 1975. Since 1975, K-Verd is one of the most stabilized countries in the West coast of Africa. We haven't had any civil wars and we've been kind of had a democracy that's kind of up and running. People are building homes. Society is changing. Things are good. And she says, you have to look at it that way. Compare K-Verd with K-Verd. And I'm like, man, what an amazing perspective. What this woman was implying is, please catch this, only compare yourself with yourself. I'm like, man, this lady is preaching in this dining room table right now. My friends, that is perspective. If we're going to compare ourselves, compare yourself with yourself. See how far you've come and what God has done, how much restoration has happened, healing has happened, breakthrough has happened. Listen, you may not be where you want to be, but thank God you're not who you used to be. You may not be there yet, but you're on your way. And God has done amazing things. You have reasons to praise him and to worship him for the progress that you made. Because I know that you may not be perfect, but my goodness, you've come a long way. God has transformed you and healed you and restored you. And if you look back five years ago, look how far you have come. Only compare yourself with yourself. You have a competition of one. And you also have an audience of one. It led me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 10. Watch this. I love this perspective. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. <laughs> In other words, change is inevitable. Progress is inevitable. And by the way, my friends, every time we talk about the good old days, we have a tendency to romanticize them. They weren't that good. What the heck does a 15-year-old know about the good old days? So God had to blow this out of the water. My friends, I got word for you. Nostalgia is overrated. Yeah. 
I'd rather have progress. I'd rather have breakthrough. I'd rather be where God wants me to be than keep talking about where we used to be. Isn't it funny, once in a while you walk into someone you went to high school with and you talk about the good old days, you're like, can you be honest? You were all jacked up. We talking about good old days. You didn't know who the heck you were. You were dating the wrong people, making all kinds of bad choices. And all of a sudden, because you're having trouble in your marriage, you go back to a fling, but that fling wasn't that good because if it was, you'd be married to them. If you're not careful, the good old days will get you in trouble. Ha <laughs> yeah. My friends, people are better off in Cape Verde today than they were 20 years ago. And anybody who can't see that, then they're not comparing Cape Verde with Cape Verde. Come a long way. There's a lot of progress that's been made. My friends, how far have you come? Don't let nostalgia get the best of you. Because the problem with nostalgia is this. This is a very mature word now. Nostalgia can turn you into a cynic. You know what a cynic is? A cynic is an idealist on steroids. A cynic is always pointing out the negative instead of celebrating the progress that's been made. A cynic will always have a but at the end of their sentence. But, 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 but. Perspective says, but God. But God. We have come a long way. We're not going back, my friends. We're going forward. Life is forward. The key is to hold on to the principles that are ancient that doesn't change. The principles of prayer, the principles of commitment, the principles of, of dedication, the principle of worship, the principle of giving that never changes, but God is always up to something new in our lives. And if you're sitting around waiting for the good old days, you're missing it. Why? Because the good old days is right now. Right now is the good old days. Led me to Isaiah. Isaiah, the Bible says this way, for I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? That's where perspective comes in. Do you not see it? In other words, are you in tune with what the Holy Spirit is doing in the present time? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Come on, somebody. God is up to something new in our lives, in our families, in our communities, and even in our nation. Our nation is not going back. We're going forward in Jesus' name, and we're going to believe God that this new is for us as well in this country. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but it's time to move forward. Stop living in the past. Embrace the present that will shape your future in Jesus' name. Got to visit with family. As I said, I was on assignment to listen. Man, this was so good. Please catch this. Whatever is in your family is in you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all part of you. Did you see? For one man, he created us. 
So we're all part of something that's been already here. We're a continuation of something that's already been in motion. So guess what? My anointing is not unique to me. It was passed down to me. What a humbling and beautiful thing that I am here because someone has paved the way for me to be where I am today. I was reminded that even though my parents at that time weren't, weren't churchgoers, my parents were the Christmas and Easter believers. Thank God some of us used to be Easter and Christmas believers, but but God. <laughs> but my grandmother, my friends, my grandmother was the devout believer. I was reminded that my grandmother was so, devo so devoted that she would get up every single morning, 5.30 in the morning, walk to church to go pray. So much so that she did it so much that the pastor was like, I'm tired of waking up so early. So here's a key. You can have the key to the church. So my anointing is not unique to me. I thank God that in every family, God has a bedrock, a pillar to lead the way, to pave the way for all of us. And I want to encourage and challenge some of you. You may be the one that God is starting with to begin a brand new spiritual legacy in your house. Embrace the calling and say, God, yes, use me to bring my family forward to your will and to your purpose. You may not see it, but your kids may see it. Your grandkids may see it because God is a God of generations. He goes from generation to generation. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I know some of y'all, you're in the thick of it. The enemy is trying to lie to you, but I need you to understand today your job is to embrace the calling of being the only one right now because pretty soon you won't be the only one. <laughs> Friends, if the anointing is not unique to me, my dysfunctions are not unique to me. <laughs> Speaking to family, you can kind of catch up and go, oh, <laughs> So we are a dysfunctional anointed family. <laughs> it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. The goal is to, is to embrace the good, learn from the bad, but overcome the ugly in Jesus' name. I came back with the strongly mandate that part of our job, part of our journey is to break generational curses that's been part of our families for a very long time. And you might be the catalyst to begin to break some things off of your family. Addiction off of your family. Poverty off of your family. Apathy off of your family. Legacy, 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 legacy over you. Carrying a legacy of victory and breakthroughs. Don't you know, statistics says, because my dad used to struggle with alcohol, I am 84% more likely to drink. But guess what? Statistics says that, but God says, I am breaking that generational curse. No, you will not drink. No, your kids will not drink. Your kids will serve me. As for me and my house, we...
And friends, it's time we take authority in the name of Jesus over our families, over our loved ones, and says it stops here. This is the last generation that will struggle with poverty. This is the last generation that will struggle with drinking. This is the last generation that will struggle with, with alcohol. This is the last. This is it. It stops here. Call to break curses off of you and your loved ones. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? amen? The Bible has so much to talk about the God of generations. It's hard to read the, New the Old Testament without seeing the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. The anointing that was on Jacob was on Isaac. The anointing that was on Isaac was on Abraham. The dysfunction that was on Jacob of lying and deceiving was on Isaac. And it was on Abraham. But guess what? Fast forward to the next generation. Joseph breaks all generational curses off of that family. And you might be the catalyst for what's to come for your family. The Bible says we don't see any promise, but our children may see it. Our grandkids may see it. So much the scripture has to say, I'll show you just one. Psalm 78 says this, watch this. We will not hide these truths from our children, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We will tell our kids the truth. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deed of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Can you say amen? amen. My friends, we are part of a moving train. It's been going on way before you got here, and it will keep going until Jesus comes back. The key is, will you get on board with the train of what God is doing and pass it over? Because it's about passing the baton. And speaking of passing the baton, yes, best of stretch was great. But man, as a spiritual father, Elijah was amazing. You have to understand, I'm pushing 40 now. I think legacy. And the greatest, I tell the staff this greatest blessing is to be away and everything runs as smoothly as possible. That's legacy, my friends. Praise God for a healthy church. But my friends, I haven't told you about the highlight of my trip. All this was introduction. Can I tell you about the highlight? Are you good? Can, can we go a little bit deeper? The highlight of my trip was yet to come. I told you I had three things on the itinerary. Preach, God says no. We had two schools to visit to see if we can, if we can help them like we do in Kenya and other places. So we're getting ready to go visit the first school. And it's in my neck of the woods. It's in my neighborhood. And we're gathering because I, I was with other people from here. Shout out to Vita Ministry. Who goes, to, who goes to Cape Verde every year. There was a couple from New Bedford that came with me, Todd and Amy, amazing people. They're like, I want, we want to go because we want to see what God wants to do. We're getting ready to go to this first school, and the highlight happened. First, I didn't recognize this guy because everybody's wearing masks, even in Cape Verde. By the way, K-Vert has adopted the pound. Everybody pounds. 
from the youngest to the, the grandmothers are pounding. <laughs> like, if you grow up in Cape Verde, if you go to an elder, you ask for the blessing and they'll bless you. Grandmothers are like, pound it. <laughs> I was like, yo, Cape Verde is for real. And guess what? Every, every day they were showing statistics about COVID. And like, right before I left, they only had one case in the entire island. Maybe this third world country knows something we don't know. I'm going to leave that alone because, you know, we're the saviors. But I approached this guy. He looks familiar. And I realized, wait, you're the one that's been coordinating this from the States? I didn't know this. Show you my house, right? Two houses down. This guy is my childhood friend. We live two houses down. And here's the best part. He's a pastor. Now, I don't know if I'll do this justice, but you have to understand the miracles are miracles. You have to, even Todd who came with us, he says, do people realize where you came from? I said, no, my problem is I have kids who have first world problems. How do I teach them? where I come from. Because we talk about ghetto here, like, no, no. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm the one that orchestrated this trip. We go look at the school, but that wasn't the highlight. He said, let me go show you where I'm ministering. In one of the toughest neighborhoods that we grew up in. This is what he's doing. I'm gonna show you a quick picture of the church. This is the church. You see this on the left? He's renting a one-car garage, and that's the church. That's the church. That's him over here. I got my hands around him. I look like a giant. And he's telling me what God put in his heart to do in the toughest neighborhood. When I tell you the toughest neighborhood, now we got gangs influenced by the states. He says, we just did a funeral of a kid who got shot and killed. He says, in the middle of the funeral, there was a shootout. We had to leave the casket and run. He said, you see these kids over here next to him? He said, these are kids who were strung out on, on drugs and alcohol who are now calling him pastor because he's come to the neighborhood to bring Jesus to the neighborhood. It's one of the most humbling experiences of my life. We went into this church that was not a dry tear because we realized, God, this is holy. This is a holy moment. And we prayed with him and we sobbed. And I knew in that moment, that's why I came. This is the divine appointment. This is why I had so much peace. God, you had already orchestrated for us to have this meeting. This is it. I met with him afterwards. And I said, I don't want an answer right now. I want you to pray about this. I said, it's crazy that there's two pastors from this neighborhood. Miracles on miracles. Hear me when I say, two houses down, I had a mom and a dad, two houses down, eight of them, one mom, 
for dads not in the picture. You're talking about miracles of miracles. He's a statistic, but God. I said, man, tell me a little bit about your story. He says, man, I was strung out on drugs, started at 15. He says, in my 20s, I was high one day, walking down the street. I heard this music coming from this place. He says, I walked in, it was a church. He says, that day that pastor was preaching, and I felt like there was nobody else in the room. I felt like he was speaking right to me. And that day I gave my life to Jesus, and I never turned back. Friends, miracles are miracles. So I said to him, I said, here's what I'm proposing to you because I really feel this is from God. He says, by the way, dysfunctional family, no dad in the picture, four different dads. He's now married for over 20 years, has two kids. Don't tell me he can't do it. So I want you to go pray with your wife about this. But I said, what you're doing is nothing short of a miracle. And I felt God brought me here to see this and to partner with you because I would love to bring you to the States expenses free so you can meet the New Life family because I would like to adopt you guys as a New Life community in K-Verde. <laughs> miracles on miracles. And I'm prophesying... This will be the first international New Life South Coast community. Miracles on miracles. Count your miracles. I told him, don't give me an answer, go pray. I truly believe this is from God. I truly believe he'll be here to tell you his story himself. And I truly believe we're going to partner to see what God can do in that country, in the toughest neighborhood that we grew up in. My friends, the lesson here is what will be your kingdom contribution? It's in all of us. Paul says he put it on all of us. I've told you this many times. We come to church as a locker room to get our assignment. We don't come to sit. We come to receive the assignment. What will be your contribution? To the kingdom of God. Because you're on a journey back to him. And to reflect him. I want to tell you about a couple of the things we're doing that I believe you can be part of. You can pray and participate. I got back two days later. I was in Brockton. Because God has laid in our hearts that our next campus here will be in the city of Brockton, Massachusetts. I was there praying, God, bring new life to Brockton. I believe you can be a part of it. Sometimes we need a brand new adventure to spark up our faith again, to bring back that why again. It may not be forever. It could be for a season. When we came here almost eight years ago, my friends, we had people who said, hey, we want to go and help you for a season. You want to talk about miracles on miracles? We started this church with 25 people. But look at what God has done. So I'm challenging you, and if you're watching online, you live in the Brockton area, I'm challenging all of us. You don't have to live there. 
to go on an adventure to say, God, what can you do if I say I'm in? Give me another 25 people. We'll start a Brockton campus and see what the Lord will do in the city of Brockton. Got back and also had a phone meeting. You met him. He was here. Chaplain Weaver from Shirley MCI Prison. And we've made it a decision and we're going to make it official in the next few weeks that we're going to have a campus behind bars a Shirley MCI. You want to... I want to talk about miracles. I get letters from inmates who say, you are my pastor, that's my church. And guess what? They even tithe. They send checks from behind bars. The latest letter that I got, one of the, one of the brothers, I call them brothers because we are brothers in Christ. He said, I heard about the house you guys are trying to make, and I've been incarcerated for 30 years, but it's always been a dream of mine to do something to help rehabilitation. And so when I get out, I believe I'm going to get parole. Would you allow me to be part of what you're doing? <laughs> miracles on miracles. Count your miracles. It's all about perspective. Don't be on the sidelines watching this thing. Get in the game. Ask God, God, where do, you, where do you see me? Because we're going to be sending a team to go to Shirley once a month to go minister to these brothers that are incarcerated. And when they get out, they can have a home church that they can call home church because it's a continuation of what we're doing already behind bars. In Brockton, Massachusetts, how many families can say, I found Jesus and my family has found Jesus because someone took a chance to go and minister to them? Miracles. Are miracles. What will be your kingdom contribution? Worship team, you guys can come up. I don't know where they are. First service, they were over there. <laughs> According to Acts chapter 17, we just read, God is after all of us. All of us. This journey is to lead us back to him. He says we feel our way towards him. I love that picture. He's saying, some of y'all are blind, but God's like, come on, keep coming. <laughs> keep coming. He says we feel our way towards him. I want to end by bringing you back to that. Watch this. Paul says it. Go ahead. Paul says, for one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history. In other words, you are alive right now because God wanted you alive in this time. Make no mistake, some of y'all are like, no, I just came because my friend's getting baptized. No, no, you came because God says, come towards me and my will and my purpose for your life. Appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands, which tells me I am converted on purpose. That was his plan. You are who you are on purpose. That was no coincidence or mistake. I love being K-Verdon. I've been listening to our music, and my kids are like, Dad, what is that? I'm like, that is, that is Marna. That is Funana. That is the greatest music you will ever hear. And you know, I still struggle speaking English, and I love it. 
glad I'm bilingual. Matter of fact, I'm trilingual. I speak in tongues too. My friends, what I'm trying to get to, embrace who God created you to be. Embrace your uniqueness. Embrace your good, your bad, your ugly, because God is an expert at turning everything around and make it good. He says, listen, my plan for you is good to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. And God knows how to take something really bad and turn it into a testimony. And if you don't believe me, you're going to get fresh reminders in a minute. Still doing it. Miracles are miracles. Justin, you're a miracle, man. Three years, man. Three years. Journeying together, and here you are. You don't know, but you're looking at a miracle right there. And he ends by saying this. He ends by saying, look, look, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And Paul's like, I'll even quote one of your philosophers. We are his offspring. In other words, man, it's all pointing back to him. The whole journey is to point you Right back to him. My friends, embrace your journey. But don't watch from the sidelines. Get in the game of life and see what God will do with you. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? I trust that every time I share the word, that the Holy Spirit is already customizing it. I don't believe any of you came by accident or mistake. I don't believe you're watching by accident or mistake. I believe it was divinely appointed. The key is, is how you respond. He won't force it, but he bids you to come. He says, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. So let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, I trust that you have spoken. Now give us the wisdom to respond. Give us the wisdom to surrender, to embrace, and to run the race. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us today. Bring fresh eternal perspective into our lives. I thank you for my friends. I thank you for this journey, my Lord. I'm so thankful for K-Verde and what you're doing. But I'm thankful for what you're about to do in Brockton, Shirley, and in K-Verde. And I'm thankful that you're working here, Lord. We're getting ready to baptize some of our friends. We get fresh reminders of your goodness. But I pray that none of us will be on the outside looking in, that we all can embrace. Some of us need to just say, Jesus, come into my life today. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be yours. I want to live for you. Some of us need to just say, Lord, rekindle my passion for you. God, give me that sense of adventure again. Give me that sense of faith again, that nothing is impossible. I want to see more miracles. God, I want, I want to be part of what you're doing in our world. So, Spirit of Jesus, confirm your word today, I pray. And have your way with every single one of us. And bless our friends as they come to the water. 
I pray today, oh, I pray today is a landmark in their journey that they will never forget this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.